Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this chance to gather with your people, Lord, to sing praises to you, to look at your word. And Lord, I pray that you would be delighted in our worship this morning, and that we would learn from you and about you, and that we would glorify you. Speak to us now through your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, have you ever been frustrated because someone didn't get what you thought they deserved? If, you're like the tip, if you were like the typical child, then you probably delighted at times in telling a parent or a teacher or another adult about the evil that a per- particular child had done to you. And if you did that very often, then you probably received the label tattletale. And you probably even heard it in the context of maybe a teacher or a parent saying to you, don't be a tattletale. And as I thought about the concept of a tattletale, uh, I wanted to share something that I uh, read on Facebook yesterday afternoon. I noticed that Scott Slayton, who is the pastor at Chelsea Village uh, Baptist Church, put this on Facebook. He said, how to accidentally tell on yourself. Mom, Dad, she hit me back. (laughs) Now, I don't know too many adults that are tattletales, but even as adults, we still desire for other people to experience justice, especially when it relates to their flaws. And personally, I get a little bit aggravated when I see people blatantly disregarding traffic laws. Now, I am by no means um, a perfect driver, uh, but I get a little perturbed when I see people obviously uh, running red lights on 280 or speeding up at stop signs rather than slowing down. If you're not going to stop, which I'm not... You know, sometimes it's nice not to stop all the way, especially on Meadowbrook Road, but at least slow down. And likewise, I get a little perturbed when I hear somebody revving their engine on the two-lane road in front of our house simply to see how fast they can go. And it's in those moments I wish that a cop would just pop out of somewhere and pull that person over. We have a desire for people to experience justice. And this was no different in Malachi's day. The people of God felt like those that were opposed to God were getting away with all sorts of disobedience and God was doing nothing about it. And as a result, they questioned the character and the behavior of God. And we'll see this morning from God's word that the God of justice will send his messenger to judge those who do not fear him. The God of justice will send his messenger to judge those who do not fear him. Look with me now at Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? 
by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? You see, what was happening in Malachi's day in the late 5th century B.C. was that surrounding nations, surrounding peoples who worshipped false gods were apparently physically prospering and as a result, the people of God began to question the character of God. Accusing God of not only not punishing them for their disobedience, but actually looking on favor to those who reject Him. And that line of thinking does make some sense. Because that question caused them to wonder, what advantage is there to being devoted to God after all? After all, if God is not concerned with how people regard Him, then what use is there being devoted to Him? And this was upsetting to God. God was not pleased with this accusation because this accusation was not consistent with what he had revealed about himself. And the reality is that God is and was in the past, is today, and will always be a God of justice. But the people of God in that day did not understand how and when God would exercise his judgment. And beyond that, they didn't even understand the depth of God's judgment because the reality is if God solely acted all of a sudden on the basis of his justice, then all of the world would experience the judgment of God, including the very people of God that were accusing God of being unjust. After all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And the people in that day had forgotten what God was like. They had forgotten that God was compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, Psalm 103, verse 8. They did not remember what God had revealed about himself through his word. That he was indeed, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, a God of justice. He, referring to God, is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is he. God is a God of justice. And he will send his messenger to judge those who do not fear him. And not only were these people overlooking the fact that God is indeed a God of justice, but they failed to understand the extent to which God's justice even applied to them. They assumed that it only had positive repercussions for them as the people of God. But the reality is, All of the world would experience the judgment of God if God had exercised his full justice at that time because the awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, had not yet come to die for the sins of the people. And so these complaints, this complaint in particular here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, had risen up to God 
And it had wearied him. He was tired of it. He was tired of being falsely accused. He was tired of being misunderstood. And we see here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, that criticizing God's justice is presumptuous and displeasing to God. Criticizing God's justice is presumptuous and displeasing to God. God is indeed a God of justice who will send his messenger to judge those who do not fear him. And we see that plan revealed in the following verse, chapter 3, verse 1. So look back at Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. God's word reads this way. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so we see in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, that the, the awaited Messiah will suddenly come. The awaited Messiah will suddenly come. And we're introduced here in this verse to two messengers. The first will prepare the way before me, that is God. The first is a messenger who who will go before God and prepare the way for God. The forerunner of God. The forerunner of the Messiah. And we see this fulfilled in the New Testament. We see it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3. And we see Jesus speaking directly to this prophecy, quoting this prophecy in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, speaking of John the Baptist, the one that went before the Messiah and preached repentance to prepare the way spiritually for the coming Messiah. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, about John the Baptist and his ministry. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And so from the lips of Jesus himself, we see that this prophecy in in Malachi chapter 3 about a coming messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah was fulfilled in John the Baptist. But there's a second messenger mentioned there as well. The first messenger, John the Baptist. The second messenger is the Lord you are seeking. He is the messenger of The covenant. He is the awaited Messiah. The messenger of the covenant that Jeremiah spoke about in Jeremiah chapter 31. And if you have your Bible open, I would encourage you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31 and follow along with me. But this is the new covenant that is referenced throughout the Old Testament. And the covenant here that Malachi is speaking to in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, that has to do with the coming Messiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. The covenant that Jeremiah anticipated. The covenant that Ezekiel anticipated. And the covenant here that Malachi prophesied about, that he foretold in Malachi chapter 3, of the day when the Messiah would suddenly come. And what's being communicated here in Malachi chapter 3, and even through the words of John the Baptist in the New Testament, is that the Messiah is divine. The Messiah is divine. He is the Lord you are seeking And he is the messenger of the covenant. And he is the one who will come to his temple. Whose whose temple was the temple in the Old Testament? It was God's. It was God's house. And now we're told here in Malachi chapter 3 that the temple is the messenger of the coming covenant's house. The coming Messiah, the one that the people of God in the Old Testament awaited is divine. He is Yahweh, the God revealed in the Old Testament, the God of, of Israel, the God revealed in the pages of Scripture. He is God in the flesh. And He would be the one, the messenger, the Messiah, who would carry out the judgment of God. And so these people of God in Malachi's day were accusing God of being unjust because all these evil people are prospering. But what God was saying through the words of Malachi is, no, I am just. I am a God of justice. I have always been just and I will always be just. But wait, my messenger is coming and he will carry out my judgment against those that do not fear me. God is just. And he will carry out his judgment through his Messiah. And we see in the following verses, verses 2 through 5, what that judgment looks like. So look with me now at verses 2 through 5 of Malachi chapter 3. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in days gone by, as in former years... Verse 5, so I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. We see here in verses 2 through 5 that no one can endure the day of judgment. No one can endure the day of God's judgment. Verse 2 begins with two questions, two rhetorical questions. Who can endure the day of his coming? Talking about the Messiah's coming. Talking about Christ's coming. Who can stand when he appears? 
And the answer is that nobody can. In other words, if God was going to act on his justice, then nobody would be able to stand. Not just those that claim to worship other gods, but but all people. Because we've all fallen short. Because we've all rebelled. Because we're all tainted by sin. If God was going to carry out his, his judgment, and he will through his Messiah at the return of Christ, nobody would stand on our own. And two images are used here, that of a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap, both referring to to taking away imperfections. Just as fire removes impurities, soap removes spots. And so God is saying that that two things are going to happen through Christ, through the awaited Messiah. Number one, God is going to, to refine his people. He's going to purify his people and directly referring here to the Levites. And, and remember, we've seen the Levites' failure up to this point. We saw back in chapter 2 that the Levites failed to give glory to God and they failed to rightly speak and lead the people of God through the ministry of the word of God. And so what God is saying now is that he's going to refine the Levites. He's going to refine, he's going to purify the priesthood so that he would receive the worship that is due him. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And what this is likely referring to is that at some point, either just prior to the second coming of Christ or at the return of Christ, a number of Jews... A number of Israelites will trust in Christ for salvation, will place their faith in the Messiah. We see this in other places in Scripture. We see it, for example, in the Old Testament, Zechariah verses 9 through 14, and we see it in, in Romans chapter 11. By no means does this mean that all Israel will be saved, but likely this is a, refer- a, a reference to a great number, or at least some number of God's Old Testament people, the Israelites at his return or just prior to it, placing their faith in him for salvation. God will purify his people. He will refine his people so that he receives the worship that is due him. And number two, he will carry out his judgment on those that that do not fear him, that do not worship him. And this is the judgment that this first messenger John the Baptist foretold in in Matthew chapter 3. And I would encourage you to turn over just a couple pages in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. To hear these words from John the Baptist. This forerunner of Christ. This forerunner of the Messiah that was to go and to preach. and, and, And to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Matthew chapter 3 beginning in verse 11. John said this. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so at his first coming, or as a result of his first coming, We, the people of God, have been baptized 
into the Holy Spirit of God. And at his second coming, which is what verses 2 through 5 in Malachi chapter 3 are referring to, his second coming, he will baptize with fire. That's what John the Baptist says in his ministry. It's not popular to believe today, but God is a God of justice who will carry out his judgment. The God of justice will send his messenger, Jesus Christ, at the return of Christ to carry out judgment on those that do not fear him. So what does it look like to not fear God? Look at verse 5. God says that he will be quick to testify against sorcerers, those who practice black magic or witchery, adulterers. We saw that picture last week. And perjurers, those that bear false witness, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, those who oppress the widows and the fatherless, in other words, orphans, and those that deprive aliens or foreigners of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So this clear contrast is set up. God is a God of justice. He's going to carry out his judgment Not on those that fear him, but on those that practice these other things. This contrast is set up. This is what it looks like to not fear God. And as we've seen already, as we've seen in in other times that we've looked at God's word, to fear God means to, to rightly worship him, to rightly obey him, to rightly reverence him for who he is. And so those that do these things mentioned in verse 5 are those that are not fearing God. They are those that are not rightly worshiping God. And we see again through, through these pictures of sorcery and perjury and adultery and, and injustice that God is not only concerned in our worship with our relationship with Him, with how we relate to Him, But that same relationship that we have and that same regard that we have for God Almighty should affect the way that we relate to other people. Right worship of God results in right relationships with other people. God desires that we rightly fear Him, that we rightly know Him, that we rightly rightly worship him and that should affect the way that we relate to those around us god is a god of justice who will send his messenger to judge those who do not fear him this past week we've seen the george zimmerman trial covered live on national television giving all of us an opportunity to witness the right that we Americans have to a fair trial. This is one of the freedoms, one of the rights that uh, is a result of our freedoms that we share as a nation. And in a trial such as that one, there are multiple layers and scenarios that that people spend hours and hours studying, examining the evidence to determine whether or not a crime was 
committed? And if so, to what extent? But as great as our judicial system is, there are still mistakes. Because we're human. We're flawed. And as a result, you know as well as I do that that many criminals have walked free and many others have been punished for crimes they did not commit. But I want you to know this morning that, that God Almighty, however, never makes a mistake in His judgment. God is a perfect God who is always just and always right. And God Almighty never condemns the innocent. But the reality is that none of us are innocent. On the flip side, however, God Almighty often acquits or sets free the guilty But not unjustly. Because you see, long, long ago, before time began, God devised a plan to be just and at the same time to be compassionate and gracious and forgiving. And to forgive a people that have rebelled against Him time and time again. Overlooking, excuse me, not overlooking their sin, but providing a way for purification and forgiveness from sin. And as a result, he sent his son, God in the flesh, coming to us to sacrificially give himself on a cross 2,000 years ago so that we sinners could be forgiven and God remain just. Punishing sin. Punishing the one the only one who didn't deserve to die. We did. We do. Scripture says clearly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And we're sinners. We deserve the judgment of God, yet God took it upon himself so that we could be forgiven, so that he could remain just, Yet God is is coming again. Christ is returning and he will judge those who do not fear him, who do not know him. But for us who know God, we know through the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We deserve the judgment of God, yet God has provided a way for us to know Him, to worship Him, to live forever with Him, and He deserves our praise and our fear and our worship and our reverence and our respect and our obedience and our dedication and our life as a result of it. Scripture says that we, just like those in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, were once characterized by sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Have you been washed clean, cleared of guilt through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ? Have you been forgiven? Do you know God through Christ? Has your relationship with God through Christ been made whole? Has it been restored so that you will spend eternity worshiping him, knowing him forever with the people of God? Or is your life characterized more by this description that we read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5? Sorcery, perjury, adultery, injustice, unfairness, partiality. Because if it is, even if you think that you've been forgiven, even if you think that you are right with God, you need to repent before God today, asking him to forgive you. Looking to the cross of Christ for restoration with God the Father. Have you been washed clean? And if so, God deserves your praise. Praise him today that he has not looked on you as you deserved but he's given you forgiveness and new life through a new covenant through his own son, the Messiah. And church, we must, just like John the Baptist, warn the world that God Almighty, the God of Scripture, the God that we serve, the God that we gather in the name of today is a God of justice who will come again and judge those who do not fear him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are just and you are right in all your ways, that you are perfect as you are. Lord, we thank you that you've made yourself known to us through Scripture that you desire us to know you and, and to rightly worship you and to submit before you and to live lives of a devotion and obedience to you. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the strength and the desire to do that today. We're dependent on you to give us that desire, Lord. So we ask that, that through your spirit, you would draw us to yourself so that we might know you and enjoy you forever. Lord, you're a good God. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would continue to be pleased in our time of worship this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing together as a response of worship to this God, this God that we serve. I ask that you would respond how God leads you. If God has worked in your life and, and you would like to share that with us, whatever that looks like, maybe God has and led you to trust in him for the first time for salvation, you come and you let us know that this morning so that we can rejoice with you and pray with you. Maybe God is leading you to, to be a part of this church, and we rejoice in that as well. We ask that you would to listen to the Spirit of God and that you would respond as he leads you this morning. But let's stand and sing together this morning.